Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SCADcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm Matt Nickley. As SCAD continues its 2020 Define Art Festival in Savannah and Atlanta, we are looking back on previous visiting artists whose work drove the conversations of past Define Art Festivals. Today's guest is one such artist, Toyin Oji Odutola, whose multimedia drawings tell expansive stories through ink, pastels, charcoal, and pencil. Her work is rich with texture and vibrancy that feels dynamic and alive. Toyin spent her early years in Nigeria before settling with her family in Alabama, where she spent most of her formative years. This unique experience gave Toyin a perspective of otherness and how people communicate, which is translated to her work and to audiences in museums and galleries around the world. At Define Art, she exhibited Testing the Name, the second part to a three-part series chronicling two fictional Nigerian families about to be joined by the marriage of two men, its portraiture and theater at the same time. Toyin invites her audience to read her pictures, and her drawings are capable of a thousand words. She sat with Paula Wallace for an in-depth discussion of her exhibition and her take on art in popular culture. From SCADcast, this is On Creativity. A conversation between Paula Wallace and Toyin Oji Odutola. Toyin, you moved from Nigeria to California to Alabama. So what an interesting life you've already lived. You've traveled the world and, um, and your art too brings us into other worlds. Yeah, it's, it's really... I find my life being a migrant. I guess when I was growing up, I may have hated it. <laughs> Just because when you're really young and you travel a lot, it feels like you don't own the ground that you stand on a lot. Mm-hmm. It feels very precarious as a life. And mm-hmm. I think that's actually what's helped me make art in a way, because I know that, like, yes, I'm making two-dimensional objects that exist in a space, but they're ideas that can float and go through all kinds of contexts. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes from, like, I guess a cosmopolitan sort of life that's lived and a mm-hmm. life that's often like seems crazy at the time, but in hindsight, it helps you adjust and be adaptable much more quickly. So, We're so delighted to have your narrative portraiture here on exhibition at SCAD Museum of Art. You really take viewers on a journey. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that's, it, it's strange. Like this, I kind of fell into this story um, I wanted to create something that... It's so fabulous. <laughs> I mean, I just wanted to create something that felt like the story carried you. It wasn't so much about um, things that are very real and do affect so many lives. But when you enter the space, I want it to be that you're entering a story. When you're looking at the pictures in the wall and you're meandering through the show, it's like the pages of a book. You know, mm-hmm. each work is like its own encapsulated thing, but it's a part of a larger narrative. And I, I like that idea that an exhibition can be sort of an experience of reading in a mm-hmm. way as you as you move through it. Um, and so that's a, that's that's traveling in a way. It really um, is. And so that that's really what I wanted, the, the sort of feel I want for the show is that kind of meandering through. We haven't talked about the title of the exhibition. Would you like to talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, it's called Testing the Name. And the show, the whole premise is that um, when you first enter, there's a letter that you yes. encounter um, yes. from the main character of this 
sort of uh, family saga in this space called Temitope and his father's Ayo Tomiwa. And um, Temitope had written a letter, which we do not see, um, in which uh, Ayo Tomiwa is responding to. And basically in that letter, Temitope comes out to her, his father mm-hmm. and he lists his concerns about tarnishing the family name and, and you know, am I worthy to be your son? And, and in a way, the whole letter is testing the name, right? Testing the name of his family, testing his name as Temitope, which, um, and his father, uh, as you will see in the letter, is basically saying, you have no idea. There's too many characters in this family for you to be so concerned <laughs> about your own little thing. I, 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 okay, I have a gay son, cool. I have a lot of kids. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. that's sort of the, um, and it's a very underwhelming letter and it's very deadpan and very factual, but at the same time, it's full of, of love and also of acceptance and, and just an overall sense of this does not matter. You are still my son. And that name is there because you are my son and I'm claiming that. And so, um, testing the name is that's sort of at the heart of that, um, and I love that as you come in and you turn around, the piece in the back is the two husbands together. So it's sort of like a string that connects from the letter to the piece. Um, yeah, it, it's, I mean, a lot of people would say, my being Nigerian, like, you know, isn't it illegal to be gay in Nigeria? And it is, in fact. Um, in fact, many people do get murdered for being gay in Nigeria and in a lot of places around the world, unfortunately. But the thing that I wanted for this story, it is fictive, it is a bit of a conceit, but at the heart of it is a reality that is lived and can be lived. The potential outweighs the reality. And I want people to feel that when they walk in here and not get so caught up in the pain and the mess that the reality sometimes imposes on us. No, you've made them very beautiful. Okay. I love the. I love the end of the letter where the father says, don't let anything diminish your joy. That's a big, that's actually sort of, I mean, I always try to be really like careful whenever people say like, this is about your story, right? People will come in here and say, do you know these people? My favorite was, uh, you know, because this is part of a series, there was someone who Googled the family and I was like, no, I, I made them up. <laughs> They're not real. But I love that someone was like, I tried to look up the house of Oba for me. I've never heard of that house. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, but at, at the same time, I love that because then it can be real. Again, it's, it's the potential outweighs that. But in the letter specifically, it's sort of an homage to my parents. Mm-hmm. One of the best advice I ever had from both of them was that never make yourself small. And I think because they were worried as being a young migrant that you you aren't supposed to be here. There's always this sort of idea. I mean, I'm a citizen of the US, but like, you know, there's a lot of conversations about immigration always and how you don't want to be that person that starts too much ruckus, right? I'm not supposed to be here. So let me be as small as possible. Let me assimilate as much as I can. And my parents were like, don't you ever do that. Don't Mm -hmm. you ever make yourself small for anybody, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's really important, you know? And he's saying that to his son, saying, I don't care what you are, don't ever make yourself small. Not even for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, there's a certain um, tenderness and sweetness about that. Really. Yeah. I think it's important. I mean, we might, you know, shrug it off and say this is cliched or this is not important or stories like this are too romantic and things like that, but there's something very heavy and grounded in that. And I think a lot of people, I think especially nowadays, feel very much that they have to diminish themselves in order to move through the world. You know, they have to make themselves feel as flattened and as small as possible. And as someone who 
grew up feeling that way and knows how <laughs> firsthand how debilitating that might be. Like I'm hoping that they understand that I know and you shouldn't do that. It should never be something that you feel. No one should ever feel that way. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you should make yourself so big and bombastic that you're harming other people too. Mm -hmm. There should be a balance. It's always about consideration, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. Like Alice in Wonderland, sometimes she's yeah. very, very small to get exactly. through little doors, and then sometimes she's right. She's you much just have bigger. to find the balance, you know. Yeah. So I've read that you um, are inspired by comic <laughs> works and graphic novels, yeah. and we teach that as a very popular major here at SCAD. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about that. I I was probably like every other comic book geek, but I, I don't know. There's so many different kinds, so I yes. should be careful with that statement because I'm not a hardcore superhero comic <laughs> geek. But in terms of like comics, there's a lot of indie comics, actually. I loved a lot of the independently published mm -hmm. comics from people who weren't from New York or whatever. They were like in small towns, and you'd always see it online or you'd see it at independent expos. And so I, mm -hmm. I was more of a fan of that. And and then, of course, on the other side of that, Japanese comics and, and uh, graphic novels. And just, I, I guess I was just really attracted to, particularly with Japanese work, mm -hmm. the detailing. Oh, yeah. I mean, just the fact that a panel could literally just be a painting. <laughs> like, <laughs> just take it out of the page and put it on a wall. It's gorgeous. Yeah. And mm -hmm. the amount of time and care that went into every line work, every mark, every shading. Um, I loved that, and I, I'd never really seen that before. And growing up, that really kind of fed my love for creating. And mm -hmm. I originally wanted to be a graphic artist or an illustrator when I first started like venturing into art, but fine art came and just... <laughs> I was like, you can do this, too. You can and do I was this, like, too. Man, how do I you know, mitigate this desire to figure out or the balance of these two sort of interests. And so a lot of my work is very graphic, but at the same time it has that kind of fine art nod as well. In fact, now that Black Panther's out, I am like very happy because I was the only superhero I knew besides Storm. I was like, yes. It's an all black cast. It's a black director. It's a black producer, um, black writer and black Queen. female. Queen, Angela. Right. Yes. And not even that, but like a black female costume yes. designer, yes. production designer, yes. black female artist. I mean, that's just unheard of, which is very strange to say. Like, yes, it just it seems very kind of odd. But I think there's, there's two things that I'm getting out of it. One, whereas a lot of people are very unsure how to approach it, who aren't black, right? They think, oh, do I have a right to come into this story? This is not for me. And in a sense, it's not. But at the same time, so many of the superheroes that have come before are all white and are all mainly white cast and production. But that doesn't mean that people of color haven't come to that <laughs> exactly. and mm -hmm. enjoyed that story and mm -hmm. loved it. The specificity of the blackness does not entail that you are not. Mm -hmm. I'm going to look at this story yeah. and be inspired by it. Mm -hmm. I think people often get caught up whenever they see dark skin and they think, I can't enter that. Mm. I can't, there's no room for me there. And the irony is, well, when I look at white skin, am I supposed to be just like, welcome? Like, of course, that's what everything, I have to be empathetic to that, but you can't be empathetic to this story. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's something that people are learning. But for me, as an African immigrant, it's, there's so many levels in that specificity. Like there's nibisity text, in the film, which is an ancient text uh, based from Igbo tribe in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. The fact that they even put it in a film blows my mind. Mm -hmm. um, it just tells you how researched it is. The accents, I heard Yoruba accents, I heard Igbo accents, yeah. I heard Hausa accents, and mm -hmm. I was like in the theater literally going like this, just like, 
okay. <laughs> just, like very emotional um, because you just don't, you don't see that. You just don't hear that. You don't see that. And it, it shows, again, consideration. And it shows that we're in a time that people are willing to go into the details. Mm -hmm. We're not going to treat Africa like it's one monolithic like country. It's mm -hmm. a continent. Mm -hmm. It's a variety. It's an amalgam. And it's pan-African. And the beauty of this, you know, you mentioned Angela Bassett. We mm -hmm. have Angela Bassett. We have Lupita. We mm -hmm. have, yeah. you know, uh, there's a character called Mbaku who is played by an uh, actor from Trinidad and Tobago. There's like people from all over the world and they're all in this mm -hmm. for this story. And, mm -hmm. you know, someone could easily say, oh, well, they should make it this thing or this. And it's like, no, the beauty of it is so many different Africans came mm -hmm. together to tell this story. Mm -hmm. And it's so beautiful because of that, mm -hmm. you know, from those varying specificities came this thing. And in the show, it's the same. There's so many varying pieces, but together mm -hmm. it's strong and it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And you got to do the work. It's yeah. not laziness. You got to do the work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of kids are seeing this and mm -hmm. a lot of kids are so happy to be seeing this. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing a lot of images of young children who are like dressing up as T'Challa and yeah. like, you know, wearing it. And it's not, I mean, yes, we know it's not the first black superhero, but it's the first time that kids are seeing a superhero that is not beholden to whiteness in any way. Mm -hmm. It's contained. It's its own world. Mm -hmm. And yes, Wakanda like, Testing a name is a fictional, you know, story. The house mm -hmm. of Obafemi does not exist. Mm -hmm. The Omadeli family never existed, but they could. They could. And in that mm -hmm. could, so mm -hmm. much can happen in a kid's mind. Mm -hmm. So much. I mean, mm -hmm. if I had had, I mean, and Black Panther was that for me as a teen, but if I had a story like this, you know, being Nigerian and growing up in, you know, in the South mm -hmm. predominantly and feeling like everything I am is wrong. Everything I do is wrong. Everything I say is wrong. My accent is wrong. I got to flatten that, right? Mm -hmm. My, you know, my skin is wrong. It's too dark. All of these things. And if I had had any indication or anyone just tap me and say, you know, that's okay. It's part of a story, mm -hmm. you know? It makes you feel less, like, one alone, but also makes you feel less like what you are is such an aberrant mm -hmm. thing to society, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and that's all important. So I guess in that sense, it does save lives. That's yeah, I see. So getting back to your work, um, and maybe some of the mediums that you use with ballpoint pens and pencils and charcoal and yeah. pastels. Yeah. So how do you work with all that together? Yeah, I mean, I started out with ballpoint. Um, that was sort of, I mean, a lot of people will notice the skin of my work is yes. very layered and detailed and full of marks. Mm -hmm. um, that's where I began my style. And mm -hmm. I was fascinated with the epidermis because the epidermis was the thing that people were preoccupied with me for so long. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, well, let me actually break it down. Let me get at the machinations of this form. Why are people so obsessed with this? Mm -hmm. I understand the historical context. Mm -hmm. I understand all of these other aspects. What is it as a material? What is it as a color, mm -hmm. an actual essence and an entity mm -hmm. and how people read it that way? And from there, this language, this style developed that was like curial and sinewy and all mm -hmm. of these things. And it became a language for me. Mm -hmm. And as I you know, started exploring other materials, in this case, pastel and charcoal mm -hmm. and pencil, it, the language just expanded more. The definition of what blackness could contain, what it could be expanded, you know, mm -hmm. um, and all of the materials along with it. And I love that whatever I tackle, whatever image I try to get into, 
isn't beholden to my expectation of it. I think oftentimes when people think about blackness, when they think as a color, as a material, mm -hmm. not as a social construct, that's a whole mm -hmm. other thing, mm -hmm. but just as a material, what it can do, mm -hmm. it's very, again, small. It's very flattened. When people think about black, they think, oh, it envelopes, it covers up. It's, it can't, you can't really distinguish it. It's sort of like a plane. Mm -hmm. And white in its opposite is very neutral. It doesn't really, it's sort of like an eraser, actually. Mm -hmm. And I always try to get at colors that really kind of play with that, you know, mm -hmm. those two extremes mm -hmm. in, at the ends. And every skin tone, every floor, every, you know, item in here is going through that gradation. And um, I just, I like to play with the materials to the upteenth. The more data, the more marks I pack onto the surface, the more information you have visually to read the picture without mm -hmm. words. The words are in the visual language that are there. Mm -hmm. And I think people get caught up in the fact that, I mean, how many times does an artist ask, can you write a dissertation about this picture? Would you be asking a writer to paint a picture about their novel? <laughs> no. Like, it makes no sense. So in a sense, it's like I'm teaching the viewer to read the picture the way they would read any other thing. So mm -hmm. that's why I, I really am very rigorous about my materials and how I use them. And, mm -hmm. and I mix everything together because I want to get the best and the most out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amazing. So congratulations on your exhibition at the Whitney. Oh, thanks. And the Art Ball Award that is coming up. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, I... AMREF is an incredible organization, and I remember last year, because Ellen Atsui was honored with the award they're giving me, which I'm still very unsure if they're... I keep waiting for the gotcha moment, like <laughs> someone's going to pop out from a bush somewhere, and I'm like, I knew it. Um, but, you know, for me, it's like what the platform, it you know, it offers and what it allows. It's, you know, especially with, like, women's health in Africa, it's a huge thing. And I just think that I knew so little about it until I started investigating it through AMRAF and just seeing all of the different programs that they're, they're working on, but also in partnership with other NGOs. And it's, it's important. I think we take for granted, obviously, being in the U.S., that we have a healthcare system, at least for now. I mean, I don't know, that's dependable, but there's a lot of countries that don't have that. There are mothers who are having babies that are not protected and are dying from that, you know? Even in the U.S., I think it's like black women are more likely to die from childbirth than most any other race, it's still an issue. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of it is ignorance, a lot of it is access and education, you know? Mm -hmm. And any program that helps provide that, I'm behind it. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they wanna honor me, I'm just kind of like, okay, great. But as long as it really gives a voice to those those people, absolutely, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm i just doing it for my parents. I just want them <laughs> to be there, just beaming. They'll be them, there, yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you've been so generous to talk about uh, Black Panther and the uh, popular culture. What about the biggest news that's been in the art world recently about the portraits of yeah. uh, President Barack Obama and First Lady Michelle Obama? Yeah. You know, what is your commentary? I mean, I think... <sighs> Amy Sherald and Yeah, Kendi I mean, Wiley. are just incredible. And yeah. both those portraits are unbelievable and so beautiful. They and are. I think the fact that Michelle and Barack really carefully picked them, I think it says a lot about what kind of message they're trying to, to say mm -hmm. to the world about their administration, about those eight years. And mm -hmm. the thing that really is amazing to me um, is there was this meme that was going around when 
it happened. And of course, everyone was like, why is he in the bushes? What's oh. going on? Or why is Michelle? It's flowering. Or it's, something, you know, or, you know like mm -hmm. all of this commentary. And it's green. someone brilliantly placed all of the presidential portraits. <laughs> I know. And then showed so boring. <laughs> well, it was also like, it, 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 you have to understand historically what that portrait means. It represents what happened when he came in. It ushered in an entirely new, like just way of America. Yes. And that is gonna look very different yes. in conjunction to all of these other portraits. Mm -hmm. And it represents so much more than just making it look like them or making it, if you wanted to have it look like them, we'll have a photo taken. <laughs> the reason for having that portrait is to show a history, to show a time. Mm -hmm. That portrait represents those eight years. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at Bill Clinton's portrait and you look at Obama's, you understand what those two portraits mean. They have their own like language and their own reasoning behind it. Mm -hmm. And I think Gehinde did an incredible job. I think Amy just killed that with <laughs> Michelle. Yeah. I mean, that in its, I mean, Michelle's is the one I love so much because that is a black woman's portrait. And that is something that represents so much in that institution of the White House and the institution of the First Lady. And this is a, you know, an Ivy League educated lawyer, yeah. you know, she was very successful. Yes. And what she brought to the first ladyship was incredible. Mm -hmm. And it shows in that portrait, she's holding her own. And yeah. she's like, look, mm -hmm. I did a lot of work. <laughs> You're mm -hmm. gonna know it. And mm -hmm. it's just in a look and it's just in that mm -hmm. moment. That's a mm -hmm. very powerful portrait. Very I'm, powerful. I'm just blown away by mm -hmm. Amy's portrait. It's really mm -hmm. beautiful. I haven't met Amy. I've met Kahinde. We've she's exhibited incredible. his work here, but I yeah. can't wait to meet her too. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you. Well, we love your exhibition here. Is there anything else that we that you'd like to talk about as far as uh, your I, I work? We've talked about so many other <laughs> things. I feel like, I, feel like um, I don't know. I just, if anything, just, if you enter this show, just put away all of that noise about what you think a piece or an exhibition or anything should be. I think should is a very dangerous word. And so when people come in here, they're just gonna like disbelief take over, and it doesn't have to be disbelief because you know kids will come in here and they'll be like, I know that person, and it's fine <laughs> yeah. too. But like, just come in here and understand that the potential of every single one of these pieces and as an amalgam is important because then you leave with that story with you. So it's not contained in this space; it follows you. And that's what I love about exhibitions is that I can enter them and I feel transformed. The way you would read a book and it just stays mm -hmm. with you, it's mm -hmm. the same, I hope, with this exhibition. So. so this is a prequel though, right? Uh, they're, mm -hmm. they're all kind of stories, they're chapters is what okay, I call chapters. them. Yeah, okay, chapters, okay. This is like chapter two, chapter two. is what okay. I, uh, I'm calling it. I'm working on chapter three now. Lord Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> Um, but it's, you know, this is chapter two and it's, it's centered around travel and wealth. And mm -hmm. The first chapter was, was on status and nobility and wealth. Mm -hmm. Wealth is sort of, I call it the wealth series. I don't know why, but it's, it's, it's all, that's the anchor. It's an aristocratic story, mm -hmm. but throughout each chapter, there's some kind of theme mm -hmm. and the theme here is travel and, and cosmopolitanism. And, mm -hmm. and this is a family that's well healed. They've been all over mm -hmm. and the question that always haunted me when I was making this show mm -hmm. was, what would it look like to have not black bodies traveling as we know, and that horrific history, but black mm -hmm. subjecthood traveling? Mm -hmm. And what would that look like? An adventurous spirit, mm -hmm. you know, of a historically oppressed figures, what would that look like? And mm -hmm. how would we be able to 
transpose that feeling onto a piece and have people feel enlightened and inspired instead of feeling the pain and the struggle. You know, there's no struggle in here. There's no pain in here. I don't want people to come in here thinking that and feeling that. So, yeah, that was, and I hope I succeeded in that, so. What's the third chapter? What do you have in mind for uh, that? That's, that's gonna be the legacy. So it's a lot of young people and it's set present day. A lot of the pieces here are very like sort of, I guess the word is anachronistic. They're not really of this time. It could be of any time. But the, the chapter is now going to be kids with cell phones, and, you know, and they're wealthy, and they are coming into this time, and it's firmly in the 21st century. And how do they contend with their great-grandfathers and, and all of the rest of it? I mean, I grew up with you know, a family that was very firm about the family tree, and they knew where they come from. A lot of people don't have that luxury, and they're always grasping at something that they think isn't there, or there's no written document they can pull from because as we know there is a huge history that's in the way of that colonization and of course the slave trade being just amongst that but what would it be like if there was a family that knew everything they knew it from 1600s down and what would that look like well how would you contend with that history well no it would be even more latin it would actually be like a lot more like heavy and so i i'm exploring that and it's it's a story i'm writing at the moment and like the story I wrote it too, um, the text that you see is what yes. I wrote mm -hmm. for this story. So it, it's a lot, but mm -hmm. I, I'm excited because it's the final chapter and I'm kind of gonna say bon voyage. Really? <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna be like sayonara with that. But it's, it's, yeah. it's um, I'm excited about it. I'm yeah. excited to kind of culminate everything. Well, we're so honored and delighted to have your work oh, here. Honored. And thank, thank you. you for taking a few moments to talk with me today. No, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Can't wait to meet your mom, too. Yeah. <laughs> she's she's going to come through. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Toyin Oji Odutola. For a list of her ongoing and upcoming exhibitions, you can visit toyinojiodutola.com. And coming next week to SCAD Atlanta is the 2020 SCAD ATV Festival a celebration of creativity and innovation in television and media. I'm not allowed to say who the special guests are this year, but believe me, it's going to be awesome. The festival runs from February 27th through the 29th, and you can visit atvfest.com to secure your tickets and passes. I cannot wait to see you there. This has been On Creativity, a series of SCADcast. SCADcast is executive produced by SCAD president and founder Paula Wallace with original music by SCAD alumnus George Lovett. SCADcast is the official podcast of the Savannah College of Art and Design with locations in Atlanta and Savannah, Georgia, Lacoste, France, Hong Kong, and online via SCAD eLearning. SCAD is the preeminent source of knowledge in the arts, design, and creative entrepreneurialism. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to subscribe, and we'll see you next time.